Good morning, church. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. I uh, have to admit that this morning I already blew it for Mother's Day. I'm not going to tell you what I did or didn't do, but it was not done. And, <laughs> but I get a second chance uh, tonight because I'm making four big fat steaks for the moms in my life. Feel free to clap. For, no, I'm just joking. Um, no, 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 I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I didn't tell you what I did this morning. I didn't do it this morning. And I'll also have you know that um, my mom bought these steaks for me to cook. <laughs> but, but, but hold it. No, I, yeah, I have nothing to say. I, but I am cooking it. So, yay. Okay. <clears throat> now, every week uh, during this series on community, we're addressing a problem related to community. And today... We're talking about having hard but necessary conversations. Let me hear you guys say hard but necessary conversations. And can I ask you, do you know what, I, well, you know what I'm talking about when I say um, the hard necessary conversation? I think intuitively, you kind of know, you kind of know what I'm talking about. But just in case you don't know what I'm talking about, I just want you to imagine a scene, Okay. You have a best friend or a roommate. You have a roommate, raise your hand. If, if you're married, you have a roommate, raise your hand. Okay, right? Okay, you have a roommate, you have a best friend. Now, <clears throat> you come back from school or work and you had a bad day. You want to talk to your roommate about your bad day. So the moment you sit them down and you start talking, your best friend, roommate, spouse does this. You might have seen it before. It's on the other side of the table. You start talking about your day, and they start doing this, and there is a lot of thumb texting as you're talking. You all with me? Now, um, if you're being honest, it kind of bothers you. And it kind of bothers you because you feel like, am I not important for you to give me your full attention, that when I'm telling you about my day, you're distracted and doing something else. Now, I just want to pause right now and ask, how many of you would tell your best friend that this is not cool and you're disturbed and please put your phone down, raise your hands? All right. I'm not sure I believe you, but... I'm glad that you feel like you would, because I was thinking, I would too, I would too. And then I thought about it, and I was like, actually, I don't think I would. Now, I'll tell you why I don't think I would. I'm probably thinking, well, maybe they're doing something that's urgent. Or maybe I'm being too sensitive. And if I bring it up, then I'm, I feel weak. I, some of you may not have that problem, but I don't like to feel weak. I don't like to be that vulnerable. I, it, it just makes me feel weak. So I would probably not have the conversation. And plus, I think I would reason, like, what they're doing is not morally wrong, right? I mean, I, I, I'd bring it up to them if it was morally wrong, but it's not morally wrong. They can, double, they can like, multitask. And so I don't think I would bring it up, and maybe you're like me. Now, let's say this happens over and over and over again. It happens the next day. It happens next week. It happens the week after that. It happens the next day. Hard day. You want to talk about something, the story, and the person's kind of doing this, right? Now, let me ask you, what do you think is going to happen to the friendship if you don't talk to them about this issue? 
Any guesses? Any predictions? Have you been there before? I have a prediction because I've seen it many times. Now, at first, you're annoyed, but the annoyance builds up, and it builds up to something called bitterness and resentment, and if you don't talk to them about it, then you start to chafe, and the chafing results in it being inflamed, and it's inflamed, and it's big, and it's volcanic, and it's about to explode, because there's all that resentment that hasn't been dealt with. It's like your, your, your garden is now overtaken by weeds because you didn't pull them out when they were small. And at some point, you walk away from the friendship entirely. Have you been there before? <clears throat> I cannot tell you how many friends I have lost because a friend of mine was offended by me, and I didn't know, and they never brought it up, and the friendship died. I have reflected as I was making this message, I have lost at least six close friends in my life, six very precious friendships, because a hard but necessary conversation did not happen. Each time, it was the same thing. I did something wrong. I did not know that I did something wrong. My friend was hurt. My friend never told me. We never had the hard but necessary conversation. The friendship died. After it died, some of them told me what it was that I did, and I was like, oh, I I just wish you had told me because I really feel like we could have worked it out. But so much time has passed, and trust has eroded, and the friendship is dead. Have you ever lost a friendship because something was needed to be said and it just wasn't said? And either you or the other person walked away and something very precious was lost. Have you been there before? Today's talk is really important. And this is one of the main ideas of today's talk. The gospel of Jesus Christ gives us a better way. The gospel of Jesus Christ gives us a better way. I'm praying that this talk is going to bring about change for people and that old habits are going to die and new habits will emerge because what we have in the gospel gives us a better way to resolve conflict. And so I guess in one sense the a good news is that you can keep good friends. You have, you have good friends now, because of the gospel, you can actually keep them. And um, good friends can keep you. But I will say this, it's going to take a fair amount of work. Are you willing to do that work? Now, there is also one more thing. Okay, when we talk about a message and what's at stake, why it's important, here's another thing. Here's a second reason why you need to really listen to me for the next 30 minutes. Have you ever met someone mature in age, but not in character? Okay, I'm not, I'm not, don't, don't, don't point at anyone, you know, don't point at me, okay? But have you ever met someone mature in age, but not in character? There is an immaturity inside them in a very debilitating way, And it was a defect and a serious blind spot. Maybe the person was irresponsible. Maybe the person treated the opposite gender in an appropriate way, inappropriate way. Maybe the person has a tendency towards people-pleasing tendencies, or they're very careless with their words. They're hurting people, and they don't even know. Have you ever met someone like that? Now, 
I think what happened is that they were probably like that when they were young. And they're supposed to grow out of it. But they never did. They got stuck. They never grew. And so, you know what happened to them? And I bet you 50 bucks this is just what happened to them. There was someone in their life that saw this flaw. There was a close friend, a spouse, a roommate. Saw the flaw. They didn't see the flaw. They weren't aware of it. But someone close to them saw the flaw and probably never talked to them about this flaw in a loving, building way. And so the person didn't grow in a very necessary way that they needed to grow. I don't know if this is the best illustration. This might date me. You guys know who William Hung is? Okay, you do know. Like, he was, like a contestant, an American idol. He, he was just really bad. He was just bad for Asian America, okay? It was just bad, right? Now, I, th- this is my example. Like, like I, I'm William, I'm sure you're, you know, love you, brother. But didn't you have a close friend who was going to tell you beforehand, brother, you got a lot of good things going for you. You're good at math, you know. You're but you just can't sing, right? Does someone not love you enough to tell you that? And so that, that, that's a picture of someone that's growing, but, but they don't know. And someone close to them didn't tell them. Okay. Now, I don't know if I'm being fair to, the, to, to everyone because maybe the person was unteachable. Maybe someone just said, William, don't do it. And William's like, no, I'm fine. I'm going to do it. You know, I don't know. Maybe he was unteachable. But as a result, the person who doesn't get that feedback is going to be a shadow of the man or the woman they could be, and it's really, really sad. That's what's at stake. That's what's at stake for you. That's what's at stake for your friend. Okay, that's what's at stake. Um, to be a person who grows to their fullest potential or to be a person that's stunted in their growth and doesn't even see how they're stunted, okay, so this is what's at stake. Now the scripture gives us a better way, a healthier way, a gospel way. And so we're going to unpack three scripture pieces that show us a better way. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians 5. Three scriptures. This is the first one. I'm going to read to you these verses and please listen. I'm aware that these verses are written to married people. You're like, this is for married people. I'm not married. No, but listen. If the principles apply to the marriage covenant, then don't they also apply in every bonded relationship? And I think, yes, it does, okay? Between parents and kids, yes. Between uh, church family members, yeah. Between siblings, yeah. Between close friends, yeah, I would say yes. So let's look at the principle. Okay, husbands. Really, I think this applies to everyone. But husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now I want you guys to read the next two words with me. Those are very important words. Ready? So that. Okay, we're going to come back to that. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. All right. Uh, if this were a wedding ceremony, I would unpack this more in the context of husbands and wives. Um, undeniably, uh, the husband is to be like Christ 
in his sacrificial love. That's undeniable. That's from the text. What else is from the text? Well, what Christ is doing is he's sanctifying. Okay, that's also in the text. How does he do that? I'm going to unpack that in just one bit. But I want you to look at those two words, so that. Say, so that with me. Okay, those are important words. Now, when I see a so that in a sentence, it means that what came before the so that has a purpose and a goal that's defined after the so that. So that are like purpose and goal-oriented words. You all with me? Okay, so, so what Christ does with the church, which is what a husband is supposed to do with a wife, which is what a close friend is supposed to do with another friend, they, they're doing something, we're going to unpack that in a little bit, so that it will render a kind of effect. You all with me? Okay, what's the effect? What's the goal? So you can say, what's the goal of marriage? What's the goal of a covenantal relationship? Well, here it is. So that he might present her in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, holy and without blemish. So the goal of Christ is to present his bride, the other person, to be beautiful. Or you put it in a different way. The goal of a covenantal relationship is so that the other person will be more like Jesus Christ. Now that's a, that's a big idea, so let me say that again. The goal of every covenantal relationship, the reason you're with your close friend, the best, your besties, uh, your, 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 your mom and yourself, your husband and your wife, the goal of, of church is to help each other become more like Jesus. That is a big idea. Okay? All right, so I just want you to imagine Michelangelo with his chisel and his hammer, and he's chiseling David out of the rock. That's what you're supposed to do with the other person in your covenantal relationship. What is the goal of Michelangelo? It's to make a beautiful David. What is the goal of your relationship with your best friend? It's to, as Michelangelo said, I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free. You're supposed to carve the other person to set them free so that Jesus can be released in their life. Okay, so here's the question. Maybe it's a $100 question. How do you do that? How do you make each chisel? Well, the, the scripture says cleansing her by the washing of water with the word. What does that mean in principle? He speaks to her. You use your words. The way you chisel, the way you bring out, the way you, it's through your words. Cleansing her by the washing of water with the word. Tim Keller tells a story. I love this story. Um, so before he planted a church in New York, he was told that the first three years were going to just be crazy busy. <clears throat> just, you know, three years, just crazy busyness. But then they said that as the church grows, you know, you can hire more staff. And if you can hire more staff, then you can have a better family work-life balance. 
but the first three years probably be crazy. So Kathy, his wife, is like, okay, okay, first three years, going to grind it out for the first three years. So she's waiting and being a fantastic mom, but she's waiting, and sure enough, he's crazy busy, and he's crazy busy for three years, but then the three years turns into four, and the four years turns into five, and five years later, he is still crazy busy, no time at home, the kids never see him, this is a big problem. One day, uh, Tim comes back home, and he hears a, um, a crashing sound, you know, something to the effect of this, you know, like, right? And then five seconds later, he hears it again. And so it's coming from outside, and so he, he, he walks outside to the patio, and his wife is sitting down. She got a bunch of plates, and she's a hammer, and she's like smashing the plates with the hammer. And then she sees him, and then she's smashing. And then, you know, another, another plate, and like, Tim's like, my wife is losing it, right? And so, and then she looks to him, and she says, for two years, Tim, I've been trying to get your attention, but you haven't been listening to me. I need your attention now. Your kids are growing up. You're missing it. You're missing it. You're going to regret this later on. I need your attention. You need to listen to me. Tim, uh, he sits down, and they, they, they both weep. They both weep. And he says, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. And he made some serious changes. In, in, in their book, uh, The Mean of Marriage, you know what they call that? I, I love it. They call it throwing a holy tantrum. I'm wondering if you need to throw a holy tantrum. I insist that you become more like Jesus Christ. You need to hear me. There's a blind spot you have. Actually, you shouldn't say it like that. There's a blind spot that you have. You really need to see this. If you don't see this, you're going to regret it later on. I'm for you. Just hear me out. Imagine Tim Keller's sons growing up and saying, Dad was never there for me. He was a great pastor, but he was a bad dad. He could have missed it, but he had a wife who understood the purpose of a covenantal relationship is to bring out the Jesus in the other person by carefully crafted, life-giving words. Ah. Notice he, it wasn't like, you said, you know, it was carefully crafted, life-giving words. How do we in community purify one another, make them more like Jesus, prepare them for the great day of Jesus' return? Jesus used his words. He didn't come as a military commander. He came as a teacher. He used his words. Kathy Keller, who was a follower of Jesus, used her words. Church, you got to use your words. Do you know how to? Not yelling words, not screaming words, not you always. She didn't attack his character. She attacked them plates. You know, later on what she said, she said, Tim, don't worry about it. He's like, what are you talking about? He said, don't worry about it. The plates that I broke were the plates that didn't match. She's one smart lady. What is the purifying agent for us in helping another person be more like Jesus? It's through your words, good words, gentle words, compassionate words, words that build up. Do you know how to do that? In my culture, I don't know how to do that. I haven't, haven't seen it. Okay, never mind. Um, in my culture, I just haven't seen a lot of good models, you know. Um, 
This is something we're going to have to work on. This is something we're going to need power from on high. But my word to you is you can reconcile that relationship by the power of God. The gospel gives you more options. Did you know that? You can have a hard but necessary conversation. Go to Matthew 18.15. Go to Matthew 18.15. Okay, here are the words of Jesus. If your brother, you can interchange that with sister, you can change that with, you know, um, really, it's, it's wide open. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. There it is, right in the scripture. Now, let me tell you what the text does not say. Okay, if your brother sins against you, go and tell your best friend what your brother did. Go and tell your best friend. Jesus didn't say that. He said, go and tell your brother who sinned against you. Tell him directly his fault. In other words, don't go sideways, go direct. Go straight to the person that hurt you. Maybe you're the best friend that someone else is confiding in, telling you how much their brother hurt them. Perhaps the best advice is, you know, you know say it humbly, you know, maybe you really should go and tell them directly. I would encourage you to do that. Let me actually pray for you so that you can do that. Well, hold it. Does this mean that every single time I feel hurt, I need to go and talk to the person that hurt me? Like every single time? Every single time? Like you're doing the phone again? Every time? I, I would say no. It may not be necessary every single time. Sometimes you choose to let it go for various reasons. But some conflicts and injuries just can't be resolved in a healthy way without a hard but necessary conversation. And Jesus says, go and tell. Okay, now turn with me to Ephesians 4, starting in verse 25. What we want to talk about now, we're trying to get really practical, we're talking about timing and motivation. Let me hear you guys say timing. Let me hear you guys say motivation. Okay, the timing, the question is like, so like, like, well, like when should I talk to them? Should I, should I go right away? Should I do it now? You know? I'm feeling something. Go, go now? That's a good question. Motivation. The question is like, well, how do I do it? What do I say? How do I do it? What am I supposed to say? Okay. <clears throat> okay, starting verse uh, 25. Therefore, these are the words of Paul, having to put away falsehood, let each one of you, now, now can you say the, the next three words with me? Speak the truth with his neighbor. Okay. For we are members one of another. Now look at these next words. These next words, I think, have all to do with timing. It provides a perfect balance. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Let me repeat that. Be angry, but don't sin. But also, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Be angry, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. I'm coming back to that, okay? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Okay, now let's go back to timing. Do I go in right away? Things are hot. Do I go in? Verse 26, I believe, brings a perfect balance. It seems to be saying as a whole, don't do it too soon. But also, don't do it too late. Don't do it too soon, but don't do it too late. Let me unpack this. In your anger, the, 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 the text says, do not sin. In your anger, don't sin. Practically speaking, 
When I'm feeling something really intensely and I'm emotionally charged and something is fresh, it's just not wise to talk to me in the middle of all that. I need space. Let me cool down. Let me cool down so that in my anger, I won't sin. And if you're like really charged and you're talking, maybe you should get some space so that in your anger, you will not sin. You guys ever hear the phrase, strike while the iron is hot? I think because of in your anger, do not sin, my, my wife taught me a new phrase, which goes, strike while the iron is cold. Wait until emotions are not as charged. People are at a better place to have the conversation. You go in too soon, you're probably going to get defensiveness, and they won't hear you. I'll give you an example. I guarantee you that if right now you feel like my message sucks, you probably shouldn't tell me right after the service. It just, I'm just telling you, you probably shouldn't tell me right then because I'm charged up. I'm the most sensitive then. I'll probably get defensive. Yeah, yeah, but you didn't hear. I said that, you know. But if you wait till Tuesday, it's probably a better time to talk to me. You know why? By Tuesday, I have to have a little distance from it. I'm more just constructive. I'll hear you much better. Isn't it the same way when you're, you're, you're charged up, you're feeling, get a little bit of space, strike while the iron is cold because in your anger you do not want to sin. But now listen, 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 listen. This verse brings perfect balance. Not too soon, but not too late. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Now I would advise you to take the, this verse literally until it doesn't make any sense to do so. That's what my Old Testament professor said to me. When you're reading the scripture as a rule of thumb, take it literally as much as you can until it doesn't make any sense to do so, then take it metaphorically. I think the same applies in this verse. What am I talking about? Like if you're fighting at 2 a.m. and you are tired and you have no emotional resources, probably not a good idea to take that verse literally at that point. That's what I'm saying. Get some sleep. Have some time to pray when you wake up in the morning. Then get up together and reconcile and talk it through. Apply the principle. Don't wait too long. It means don't let these things fester with time. Get it resolved. Keep short accounts. Okay, so that's this perfect balance that's in the scripture on time. Let's talk about motivation. The question is how to do it. What do you say? Paul says this, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Speak the truth. Verse 29 says, let no corrupt, cor- corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So we go, you know, what do I say? What do I say? And Paul says, say the truth. And we go, well, you know, how do I say it? How do I say it? And Paul says, from a heart that wants to build the person up. Notice there's a connection between these two ideas, speaking the truth and speaking to build up. They're connected. Sometimes the only way to build up is by speaking truth. Sometimes the truth is hard to hear. Sometimes the truth is necessary, though. Okay, I'll give you an an example. Like uh, one time... My father and mother-in-law were in town. They were, they're, they're from Hong Kong. And, uh, and you got to hear me. I, I love my father and mother-in-law. They are wonderful, wonderful people. You all hear me? Okay, let me say it again. 
I do. I love you, Mom. Okay. Um, at the end of the 10 days, my father-in-law says to Raina and I, hey, you know, before we go, I'd like to get some time to just sit down and talk. And then I kind of looked at Raina and was like, oh, boy, here it goes, you know. So then we sat down. It was the last day. His plane was leaving that night. And, and my father-in-law says, <clears throat> I've noticed a few things. Yeah? What is that, Dad? Your kids. They don't listen to you. I'm like, what are you, what are you, what are you talking about, Dad? He says, I, I've watched you. The other, like, the other day, Andrew, you said to them, okay, it's time to go. Let's get in the car. And they were sitting on the couch, and then you said, okay, it's time to go. And I was looking at them, and they were still sitting on the couch playing their video games. And you said, okay, no, it's time to go. Let's go. Come on, let's go. And I'm looking at you. And I'm getting ready, and I'm looking at your kids, and they're not moving. I'm looking back at you, and I'm looking at your kids. And you're like, come on, let's go, let's go. And they're not moving like they can't hear you. And then you said it again, and they still did nothing. Andrew, they're not, they're not listening to you. And you're letting them get away with it. Now, <clears throat> if I was totally honest with you, church, I was mad. I was, I was angry. I was angry. I was, I was not happy. Like, you're staying in my house, which actually he helped purchase, but that's besides the point. You're staying in my house that you helped purchase, and you're criticizing my parenting. And then after I calmed down and I had some space, I realized that dad was right. That was right. I even told, I turned around, I was like, yeah, dad's right. Because I remember when I became a dad, I never want to be that, you know, permissive American dad who says to his kids 10 times it's time to go before the kids actually acknowledge that dad actually said something. I, I've seen that in other days. I never wanted to be that dad. And my father-in-law was pointing out to me, like, Andrew, you're saying kind of like, Andrew, I love you. You know, he didn't say those words, but he's Andrew, he meant it. I love you. I knew it was somewhere there, like deep inside. He was saying, I love you. But I think he was saying that, Andrew, I want you to know, you become that kind of dad now. I needed to know that it was there. I couldn't see it. I needed community to show me my blind spot. That's my point. I have blind spots. I don't see it. My father-in-law saw it. Even my wife didn't see it. Can it be that you have blind spots too and other people see it? Maybe you need to give them permission to speak to your life and show them that you're teachable, that you want to grow because we all got blind spots and we can't see it. So how are we supposed to grow? And God says, I'm giving you community. But then the community is like, well, I'm too afraid. I don't know how to. And so we got this chisel, and we got this hammer, and this beautiful David's coming out, and we don't know how to chisel. We don't even know how to get started. We're afraid. We're afraid. And I think my message is you can do this in Christ. You can do this. Truth and building up go hand in hand. You can have a conversation that is both hard and good. It's not going to be easy and good, but it's also not going to be hard and destructive. You can come out and say it was hard, but you know something? It was good. 
So many times as the pastor and, and people are kind of fighting or they have this grief, and I would just say, go and talk to them about it. And they're like, ah, you can do it. You can do it. Ah, I don't I'm going to pray for you. You have resources. And they go, they go and do it. You know what they come out and say? They, they normally, if they go in humble, they go in vulnerable, they go in prayer, they normally come out and say, you know, actually, it wasn't so bad. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I mean, it was hard, but it was good. Not hard and terrible, not good and easy, but hard and good. And maybe for some of us, just thinking about having that conversation, you're scared. I just want you to know, the gospel gives you resources you wouldn't otherwise have. You have a God that empowers you with the Holy Spirit. There's a relationship that's broken. Maybe it needs a hard but good conversation. You can do it because God is with you. You can talk to that person. God will meet you there. You guys know uh, the story of uh, uh, David and Michelangelo. I was referring to that all through the message. Did you know that... um, before the statue was formed, it was a huge block of white marble and had a name. It was called the Giant. You know, two sculptors were originally commissioned to work on it. The, the first one just started to shape the legs and the torso, really not much, but then he just gave up. Second sculptor, and that guy didn't go anywhere. And they both said the same thing, which is too many imperfections in the stone. And, and modern research has actually revealed that stone is actually pretty mediocre. Too many imperfections in the stone. So that giant block of marble was sitting in a courtyard for 26 years as a blobbly, blobby block of unshaped marble. 26 years until the year 1500. Michelangelo came along, was commissioned at the age of 26 to finish the work. He worked on David for two years, constantly, constantly. He worked in the open courtyard, so when it rained, his body was drenched. He slept sporadically for two years. And when he did sleep, he slept in his clothes, he slept in his boots, and he rarely ate. Today, David, the statue David, is perhaps the world's most famous, breathtaking masterpiece. By the way, did you know that in 1991, a person kind of broke in, a person who was kind of described by the police as deranged, he broke in, and he struck David with a hammer, breaking off a piece of his toe. Did you know that? Anyways, here's my point. You're not the deranged person with the hammer. Not you. You're not the two sculptors that gave up, saying too many imperfections. Not you in Christ, no. You are Michelangelo. Your best friend, your spouse, your children, your loved one is the giant that is going to be David. You chisel with your words. Chisel every part that is not David. Throw a holy tantrum, a gentle one. Chisel every part that is not Jesus. That's why you're here. That's why we're here. They have blind spots. They desperately need someone loving who knows how to use their words to build them up. Build them up. 
David said, I saw the angel in the marble, and I carved until I set him free. See the Jesus in the marble of the other person and carve by the grace of Christ because of the gospel to set that person free. Now I'm going to invite the worship team to come. I'm just going to invite them to play some music. And we're just going to do a little bit of prayer ministry homework right now. And so would you all just, um, let's, let's just have you all stand up. But I'll tell you what, if you feel more comfortable sitting down, why don't you stand up first, and just for unity's sake. And then if you want to just sit down, you just go right ahead and sit down. We're just going to do a little bit of prayer ministry. I've been talking a lot. I want to give you an opportunity now uh, with some music playing in the background for you just to have a conversation with God. Now, if you prefer to whisper it because it's just private, that's fine. If you prefer to talk it in like um, above a whisper, it's up to you. Whatever feels like prayer to you, just get ready to pray. Uh, The first question I want to invite you to ask, Lord, is, is there anyone in my life that I need to have a hard but necessary conversation with? I want to say, look, your father loves you. He challenges you to hard things, but it's because it's good for you. So don't be afraid to ask that question. Now, with, with courage, I just want to encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, is there anyone in my life that I need to have a hard but necessary conversation with? this next moment, I'm just taking on faith that God has probably brought someone to mind and you might be feeling something about that. I'm going to give you just a moment just to pray whatever you want to pray. You could pray for courage. You could pray for your heart to change. You could pray for compassion for that person. Maybe you just have something in your heart you just want to express. Here's a moment for you just to have a real moment with God just to articulate to him something about that relationship you can go ahead and do that give you another moment just to pray for courage to pray for compassion to pray that God would do something in your heart and now I would just love to pray for you Father in this relationship Maybe there was a conversation that needed to be had, but it's been a long time, or maybe it's fresh. But I pray that we would keep our eyes upon you. You are the God of the impossible. Nothing is too hard for you. In your heart is the ministry of reconciliation. 
this is what you do. I know, we know you can do it. You can bring out the humility. You can bring out the reconciliation. You can bring out the vulnerability. You can restore this friendship. You can restore this relationship. Oh God, may your gospel through our hearts make the difference. Give us courage. Father, I have been praying that through this message and through the hearts of your people and the gospel and its effect, that relationships can be restored, that friendships can be saved. And we would have stories of reconciliation that we can share with other people about the goodness of God. God has the power to restore and to heal and to mend. Father, would you complete that story in our relationships so we can boast of your glory. May we be ever connected to your love and may it transform our relationships, we pray. We pray these things in Jesus' name.